to our podcast with super fans Rose and Sam and Malika too. She's undecided if she even likes it. But we watch Stargate and talk about it because it's fun. We probe the wormholes, yes we do, because we have nothing. Better to do so, listen, here's our show. Hello, and welcome to Probing the Wormhole, a Stargate discussion podcast. I am your host, Sam, and I'm joined with... Rose and Malika. Today we are discussing Season 2, Episode 14, Touchstone. We start the episode in the briefing room. They are talking about a planet that they have visited in the past called Madrona. Carter has startling firsthand observations from Madrona. Madronians can control the weather. This is important technology because the Gao don't possess it, but the Madronians are technologically primitive. So they could not have come up with this technology So it was probably the aliens that terraformed the planet that came up with this technology. And this device is called the Touchstone. Isn't there some Republican that said Jews control their weather? Yeah, Marjorie Taylor Taylor Green with our Jewish space lasers that control the weather. Okay, so these people, maybe they have that. Maybe they have Jewish space lasers. Did you see Carter's hair in the briefing room at the beginning? It looks so good. Like they had just dyed it. It looked like somebody had come in <laughs> her hair. It was just like perfect. So I have to say Carter really rocks the like short hairdo variations. Cause like, I think my favorite hairdo, my favorite hairstyle of hers is fifth season when it's really short. It looks fantastic. And then it's like a little longer in season four. I like that too. I like short hair. She does, yeah. She does a lot with short hair for sure. So a high priest is the only one who apparently knows how to turn the rings to control the weather. And the whole planet, the whole planet, not just like their area of the planet. That's a lot. That's a lot for this little device. That's a lot for a little device is definitely true. Yes. But not just a lot for that one device. Remember, I think it was Carter who said that, no, it was Daniel who said, um, if you need some water on this crop, you can dial. He'll just put like two drops of rainwater there. That's, That's a lot of work. Like he would be working around the clock. Yeah, there's like millions of crops on a whole planet. Well, I guess there's only that one village, I guess. So the rest of the planet, pretty empty. One would assume. <laughs> this whole planet is just desert, except for this one little Polyne- Polynesian village. Yeah, we can talk about it with the whole like primitive, whatever. Malika, remember last episode when you were saying they didn't learn anything? <laughs> I think this, and you wouldn't be surprised if the next episode, the same shit happens. Here we go. The outfits were a bit confusing. <laughs> but it's Polynesian themed, right? That's the idea. Some kind yeah. of so- island... Wind suits and straw, basically. Bikinis. But when it gets cold, they do uh they do break out the fur. Yeah, where'd they get those if it's always nice out? They go and capture some animals, I guess. But they the skins are only good for the their backs. Did you notice that? The high priest, his whole belly was out and everything. And he was old. Like old people get cold. You need to have like two. So Jack wants to go back and have Carter use her doohickeys. I like that line to figure out how the touchstone works. 
Hammond, of course, wants to borrow it, but the touchstone maintains the weather. So they're going to leave it on this planet. And study it. But when SG-1 goes back, these people do not look happy. They're, they look very attractive, but they don't look happy. <laughs> they also don't look Polynesian. Not yes. ethnically. Okay. Yeah, so we mainly deal with an older looking guy named Roham and a, uh, a young woman who calls herself Princess Lamore. And did you guys recognize this actress? Tiffany Lindell Knight. She was either on Battlestar Galactica or Minority Report. She was that girl who was always in the goo, predicting things. Oh. oh. <laughs> she does look like, I do remember her. And that was Battlestar Galactica. I think it's Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. yeah I do, similar... and, I, and I do remember her face yeah. now. So the Madronians accuse SG-1 of taking the touchstone. They all go inside this structure where they keep the touchstone and there is this gold statue of a woman with a very pronounced hand coming out I guess where the touchstone is supposed to sit so does the placement of this device have anything to do with controlling the weather I mean does the the device have to sit on the statue's hand no because it fucked up the weather on earth and at the very end we see spoiler alert Roham manipulate it to make the sun come out before he even got it back into the the palace or whatever. I think it's just like a fancy shelf made out of what looks like a lady. (laughs) (laughs) A lady shelf. Yes, a lady shelf. (laughs) So this this touchstone device is gone, which is why it's looking dark and stormy right now in, in Madrona. Do you think this is the natural weather phenomena at Madrona if they don't have the device? Yeah, because it was terraformed, right? Right. So without the device, it goes back to whatever kind of perma-blizzard situation. It's kind of like like the Star Trek weather grid, right? Remember that episode when they went to Ryza and they like disabled the weather grid and it was like really stormy? Kind of like that. Yeah, there was some rain. People got wet. (laughs) (laughs) And there were earthquakes. That's right, there were earthquakes. Okay, that's a big deal for some people. Jack asks why it wasn't guarded. Good question. They said it was, but we trusted you guys. So we let our guard down. Princess Lamora said there were witnesses. A group of people took the touchstone in the middle of the night. They were wearing clothing and carried weapons that were similar to SG-1. And these people left by the Stargate too. And apparently none of these Madronians know how to use the Stargate. Why are they so dumb? Right, but they know how to use this very complicated weather device, yet the Stargate oh. eludes them. I don't get it. Well, like one person, right? So is it the idea that one person, the high priest or whatever, knows how to use it and then, I guess, passes on that knowledge down to their protege before they die? I guess. So that's pretty tricky, though. I mean, what happens if they don't pass along all the knowledge before they die? Right. Yeah. It seems really like you would think there'd be like a at least a cabal of people that know how to work this very vital piece of technology and yeah all you have to do in the stargate is push buttons how can you not know how to work it (laughs) how can nobody have tried to do that so roham calls for the guards to take sg1 away jack pulls out his gun and points it at them (laughs) great jack sg1 manages to get them to let them go so they can investigate what happened to the touchstone meanwhile there's thunder and lightning and the, the winds blow open the doors and the Madronians all look very, very scared. Not just scared, but if you saw one of the Madronians, when the when the doors blew open, he pulled up his arrow, bow and arrow, like he was going to shoot the wind. 
we talked about the infantilization of a culture. Like it's one thing to not be super technologically advanced. Okay, it seems like there's 20 people on this planet, whatever. But the like complete passiveness of them really irritates me. All they do is go and complain about the weather, complain about SG-1. They don't do anything. They don't figure anything out. They have no idea how anything works. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's kind of ridiculous how many times they come out in their bikinis asking, so what? <laughs> so have you fixed our thing yet? Yes. It's- well, maybe the touchstone of their culture is not really being inquisitive. <laughs> to an extreme. Yes. We'll just sit here and die. We won't even put on any clothes. I will keep my my bikini on as it's like Antarctica outside. And why did they try to evacuate them? Like if they are not sure there's going to be, they're going to find the touchstone. They're like, we have 48 hours till the planet is no longer habitable. Let's just leave them there. Like, Why isn't there a plan B of evacuate them while we figure this out? And they didn't even bring Would you jackets. Want to? Yeah, I know. They didn't bring anything to yeah. work. Heater, like, space heaters? Where are they going to plug the space heaters? It's a game. They could get a battery or generator. Come on. SG-1 comes back to SGC earlier than expected. Jack and Hammond meet in Hammond's office. Jack tells Hammond that the touchstone was stolen, most likely by SGC personnel. Hammond looks shocked. It doesn't seem like Hammond actually knows who it was, though. And Jack sort of intimates that we we all want to know, General, wink, wink, who it was. Hammond does not appreciate Jack's tone. Jack asks, well, then could another SG team have done it? Hammond says, no, of course not. I would have known about it. Jack says, okay, true. But could Carter still look at the logs to see if there was any sneaking around? Hammond, of course, says, I know everything about that Stargate. If someone farts on it, I know it. But yeah, let's let Carter have a look, just in case. Hammond seems to be being willfully obtuse here. Willfully ignorant. Yeah, but he relents at the end, though. He does. But, like, he knows what Jack is saying. Either you're, I mean, Jack is saying either you're in on this or you're an idiot. Or they're keeping you in the dark about what's going on. And either way, you should care. The next scene is Carter looking at those logs. Daniel is also checking the weather. There's flooding in Phoenix, hail in the panhandle, and rivers are cresting, whatever that means. The thing is, is that lots of parts of Arizona have flash floods all the time because it's monsoon weather, right? And they tell you stay out of those like dry gullies because the, the water will come down on you and sweep you away and you'll die. So Maybe Phoenix isn't a good example of a place that's flooding. I I agree. I've seen Vegas flood within like five minutes of it starting to rain. So I agree. It's those monsoons. So SG-1 thinks it is probably the touchstone and whoever has it is fiddling with it. Hence the change in weather. So Carter is still looking at the logs and she found a huge transitory glitch, whatever the fuck that means. In the logs at around the same time the touchstone was taken, coincidentally, when SG-2 went off-world. Carter said this is a huge energy spike, and it resembles the energy spike that occurred when Carter and Jack were sent to Antarctica. So, maybe someone is using the second Stargate. 
And then Carter is trying to find trying to find the energy signature in the primary log. She goes in the backup logs and then she finally finds it in the tertiary log. But here's the thing. How could you actually miss it? There's a pop-up. <laughs> you want to go to the tertiary log? Yes or no? <laughs> no. <laughs> no, I'm going to leave those. I'm just erase these two. All right. And then Daniel tells us that the second gate was decommissioned. So how could anyone be using that? So the next scene, we are looking at the red phone. Hammond is trying to speak to the president. Jack comes in and fills him in on what they think is happening with the second gate. Hammond tells Jack that back in the day when the program was getting started, there were there was a group of people who thought that all discoveries off world should come back to Earth without wor worrying whether or not it caused trouble on the origin planets. Hammond does not know who these people are, but he thinks they are political. Don't we already know this, right? We, we're, we've dealt with Kinsey, we've dealt with Mayborn. Like, why is he acting like this is some sinister secret thing that nobody has heard of before? He's not talking about NID, right? He's talking about some other cabal, like an evil cabal, yeah. right? That's not the NID that the NID works for or with or is in alignment with. So somebody's pulling Mayborn strings. Right. Or is it as Kinsey? We're supposed to not know that. I don't even think it is Kinsey. I don't think it's Kinsey either. In fact, I don't even know. I don't even think Mayborn's strings are being pulled just yet. I think by the end of the episode, Mayborn is definitely been strung up by the evil cabal. But right now, I don't think Mayborn is in on it yet. I think he is. Think he is? Because, yeah, because he says that when they discover that the gate is plastic, Mm -hmm. And um, O'Neill threatens him and is like, you could get what's going to happen to somebody who loses a Stargate. And that's when Mayborn says, well, what if that person like had authorization? Mm -hmm. So he knew at that I, point. Mayborn just looked so shocked that the gate was plastic in that moment. And I think Mayborn was just tap dancing in his head, like who could have done this? And within those three seconds, he kind of figured out what had happened. And I think after they left Area 51, that's when Mayborn probably got more entrenched with the evil cabal. That's my theory. I, I think he knew. I think he was acting when he Let's, when they were like, it's plastic. Exactly. And he's like, what? I think he knew it was plastic and was putting it on a show. Okay, so back to the briefing room. Carter used her doohickeys and found out the touchstone is in the Nevada desert. Turns out the second gate also ended up in Nevada at Nell's Air Force Base, which actually exists. And Colonel Mayborn was just sent there. So a perfect storm of bad guys and alien technology. Uh, yeah, so Nellis Air Force Base is a real place. It's the Air Force's version of Top Gun. So it's where the airplane guys and girls go to pretend to shoot each other and to see who is top plane. I don't know. Top Gun. <laughs> top Gun. Is it still called? Well, Top Gun was Navy, though. So what do you call is Top this Gun? Is thing Air that happens? Yeah, apparently the same thing happens. I'm glad my tax dollars are at work here. So Area 51 isn't there? So Area 51 is next to Nellis Air Force Base. Okay. And apparently they call, or Area 51's official name is Groom Lake. Next scene, they are in the control room. They've just sent the MALP through to Madrona. There's a blizzard. Carter thinks they have 72, 72 hours because 
the terraforming is starting to degrade. So 72 hours. Time to start evacuations. Yeah, this would be a good time to evacuate. But 72 hours until what? Until the planet just implodes or it's not livable anymore? Is that the idea? Is it not? Yeah, I don't understand. Is it like 72 hours until it's irreversible that the terraforming is going to be gone and they'd have to re-terraform it? Or is it they just have to live on a really cold planet? Because you can live on a cold planet. It's not like not livable. Is there still oxygen on it? You just have to be prepared for the elements. But these people still have straw (laughs) bikinis on. Somebody has to give them some really good winter gear and then they'll be fine. And sleds and stuff. (laughs) Rohan was definitive on they were going to (laughs) die. If they didn't get back the touchstone. So I'm thinking a couple jackets and some generator operated heaters are not going to be enough. Why not? Because Rohan said they're going to die. They also don't know how to work the stargates. I don't think they really know a lot of things. No, I I know where Rohan is coming or Rohan was coming from because when I went to Maine and had to shovel that snow, I thought I was going to die too. I, I would have survived. So maybe he is exaggerating. <laughs> You're a Californian. That's the problem. You're like, oh my God, it's less than 50 degrees out. What do I do? Less than 60. <laughs> but I think these people are kind of Californians. They strike me as like valley people. They're like Hawaiians. I mean, it's, it's like the temperature is always like 70 to 90 degrees. And sunny skies. So Jack wants to go to Nevada, but doesn't want to broadcast it. And Hammond comes up with the idea that he needs to send some documents to Groom Lake facility, AKA area 51. And he needs at least three people and one Jaffa to accompany the documents. Point was that they didn't want to announce their visit. They were just going to show up there, but they didn't, they were still expecting him. Reynolds greets them when they get there. Maybe the major that greeted them Maybe he knew that they were coming because they had already passed through the gate to get into the base. Yeah. Maybe that's all the notice that they actually had. Mm-hmm. So like five minutes. And he was a bit of a groupie too. Yeah, that's that Reynolds. Guy. We can see Reynolds again. Okay, so Jack got all dressed up in a tie. Carter brought her hat. They meet Major Reynolds. He sounds very excited to meet them. He shows them around the place. They see the Gaul Death Glider. Uh, and they are shown the bio-research room. Colonel Mayborn shows up. Mayborn tells Tilk it's good to see him. Tilk says in his culture, he <laughs> can dismember Mayborn for what he's done. I like that. Mayborn looks a tiny bit apprehensive about this, uh, but he does ask them what they are doing here. Jack comes right out and says, we want the touchstone. Mayborn says, what are you talking about? Uh, eventually, Daniel asks about the second Stargate. Mayborn says it's been under lockdown. SG-1 wants to look at it, and Mayborn complies. You know the look that Tilk is giving to Mayborn? I really want to cultivate that look for myself of, like, menace and violence, and also, but I'm also looking down on you because you're nothing. I, I need to cultivate that. He says a lot with his face. I would love to do that to the DAs. That I would be with my rights to dismember you look? Yes. Yes. You are nothing. I will crush you like a bug. 
you're only standing here because I'm choosing not to dismember you. <laughs> Put that on a t-shirt. That'd be great. <laughs> okay. So they go to a large warehouse. There's a big crate being guarded by some men. They open it. At first, it looks like the Stargate, but then I think Carter knocks on it. and It sounds very hollow and they discover it is plastic. So do you find this realistic that they that they didn't discover until now that this gate was plastic? I mean, think of the weight difference between these two things. No, he's full of shit. There's, he's, there's no way he didn't know that it was plastic. I, th- I mean, I think probably very limited people have access to it and they're probably his people. I don't, so, so Mayborn I looked genuinely shocked. And I don't think Mayborn is that good of an actor. That's why I think he's still not in in on the whole thing. I just don't think he could have gone from what, what do you mean it's plastic to you're assuming that it wasn't authorized that quickly. But I think he's just tap dancing at that point because if he actually knew about it, I don't think he would have given that hint about it being authorized by the government. I think, I mean, I think he's trying to do, I think one is... First, he's trying to fool them with the plastic gate, hoping that would fool them. Doesn't fool them. Then they call him on it. And he's like, what? What do you mean? What do you mean it's plastic? He tries to play innocent. Then they call him on that. And then finally, he's like, fine, this is bigger than you. Don't go any further here. I think that, so I think he's giving them a warning. So I think he was, I think it's just all like subterfuge on top of subterfuge. Why would he give them the warning? Because he wants them to back off. He doesn't want them to follow them. The fact that he brought up that this possibly could be a civilian operation, I think that means that Mayborn knows everything, or at least knows enough. And as for the weight, maybe Mayborn just filled it with bricks. I mean, and how many people really know how heavy Nequit is? Like, I think only select people are even accessing it, so they wouldn't even know. I mean, how do you walk out of there with a Stargate? I, I still, yeah, I still don't think he knew that the Stargate was plastic. That's just my take. The whole, I mean, I'm, uh, I won't do any spoilers, but obviously this is not the end of this storyline, right? That's clear. I find that this gets, it's not as convoluted as like the X-Files conspiracy storyline, which who the fuck could follow. It's not like that, but I do find it to to get a little unnecessarily complicated and a bit tiresome as the series goes on. So Mayborn sort of throws them off the base at this point and SG-1 leaves reluctantly. Back at the SGC briefing room, Carter's instruments dropped to zero. So I guess they stopped using the touchstone or they found a way to shield its use. And the weather event stopped or the weather, the unusual weather event stopped. Carter says they can track the second Stargate by intentionally overpowering the gate. So the gate sends them to the second Stargate. Uh, They decide to send the MALP instead, instead of sending people through, but they need to go to Madrona again to input the coordinates. Jack and Daniel volunteer. So they go back to Madrona. The idea that they were just going to go through the gate and see what happens, that's pretty dumb. It is dumb. Especially when we find out what happens to that poor little mouth. It gets blown away, doesn't it? I know. Which would have been them. They would have been shot instead. So back to Madrona. (laughs) It's very snowy. It's windy. It's pretty cold. I, I must point out that, again, these Madronians are wearing their straws and bikinis and some furs. Okay, they have some furs, but no blankets, no jackets, nothing. I don't think they have blankets and stuff because it's never cold. So they must be like in the process of manufacturing them. And each time they go back there, they've made more. Because <laughs> like, 
thatch, like a thatch blanket or something. But why would you have like heavy furs in a place that never gets cold? Maybe they just use them as like window treatments. And they just pulled them off and put them on themselves. <laughs> or because it's too sunny. The weather's <laughs> too nice. So we have to block out the sun. Could they use the touchstone to block out UV light, I wonder? So they don't have to wear sunblock? But can't they just like manufacture a thicker ozone layer so that there isn't as much UV radiation? Well, does the touchstone affect the ozone layer or is it just the weather? It affects the whole planet's weather. So I'm sure it could make more ozone. But do we think that the Madronans are smart enough to be like, <laughs> we're getting sunburned. Let's increase that. They can they have like the lower sunburn level. I mean, because when you're talking about controlling the weather, you're talking about the entire atmosphere of the planet, right? Like altering the atmosphere of a planet. I do actually, I have a support for my argument that these are window, the furs are window treatments. They're all rectangles. You notice that? They're not like in the shape of an animal that's been skinned. They are straight up rectangles. Rectangle animals. Okay. <laughs> yeah, maybe they're rectangle animals on that planet. Who knows? The Madronians still accuse SG-1 of lying and taking the touchstone. SG-1 says they're trying to help. And the, the poor Madronians go back into their little building. Jack and Daniel do some tech stuff with the Stargate and they send the mouth through. Back at the control room at the SGC, uh, there's an energy spike and the mouth seems to have gone through the second Stargate. They're looking at the video that the mouth is sending through. They can't see much looks like there's a warehouse and then we see a gun and someone shoots at the mouth and carter was able to narrow it down to southern utah well first of all didn't she say they would instantly know where it was as soon as the mouth came through apparently that's not true because they had to triangulate the whatever whatever is and it took her a while and then they didn't even get all the way so that's not true hamid says he will call in a marker to find out some more info. And this is where the episode kind of went a little X-Files-y. Yeah, not as good as the X-Files does it, which is whenever they try to go X-Files, they just don't execute it well. You shouldn't have clandestine meetings in a really nice park. <laughs> just say, like, if you're getting like underground, deep state, whatever that means, um, information, you need to do it in the dark in like an alleyway or a garage or something like that. Not in a sunny, beautiful park. All right. So next scene, we are outside blue skies out in the open. As Malika said, there's a guy sitting on a bench. Hammond comes up in civilian clothing. He calls the bench guy Whitlow. They decide to walk because it's harder on the people with microphones to hear them. Whitlow doesn't know about the touchstone. Hammond asks about Nellis and Southern Utah. Whitlow knows about a planned pickup at a NAD landing site in southern Utah. And the plane that is supposed to do the pickup is big, big enough to carry a Stargate. Whitlow gives Hammond the coordinates and Hammond and him are even if it pans out. What, what do you think Hammond did for him <laughs> that warrants this kind of repayment? Do we know Hammond's history? Like, did he fight in the big war or something? I think he was in like Vietnam. It's probably something to do with Vietnam then. Like he saved him or he saved his brother or something like that. I don't think we ever, like spoiler alert, nothing comes up this. I don't think anything comes up of this particular relationship. So was X-Files just suddenly 
becoming very successful at this point and Stargate wanted to do the same thing that X-Files was doing? Conspiracy wise? I mean, I think this was not X-Files' like heyday or even a little after. It was after. Because I remember watching X-Files in college. This was like, you had to be there Friday night because you couldn't watch it any other way. Like <laughs> old school, pre-TiVo. Next scene, we are back in the briefing room. Hammond briefs SG-1 on the mission to Southern Utah. SG-1 can't shoot anyone, even if they encounter fire themselves. So they take Zat guns, which I guess makes sense. Wait, so his his rule was don't shoot anybody unless ever, unless there's no other option after you've no. been fired on and you can't hide. Just don't shoot anyone ever. <laughs> I think it's so. You should said. just die. Yes. Shooting at you <laughs> or run away. Run away. What if you can't retreat? What if there's no retreat option? And obviously they completely work. ignore that rule. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have the Zach guns. Yeah, but so. Jack shoots them a lot. <laughs> Well, with Zach guns, right? Not with, not with no, bang, bang, bullets. bullets. He, he does? Remember when, the guy try, remember when the guy tries to take the box with the touchstone in and he's like, lay that and shoots it all up. I mean, I don't think he's aiming at them. I don't think he's, I think he's avoiding aiming directly at somebody, just shooting sort of in their general direction, but still completely violates Hammond's role. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> Wouldn't be the first time or the last time. SG-1 is sneaking around a large base. They are looking into a warehouse, a very large warehouse. There is a large crate in the warehouse. It looks big enough for a Stargate. A big-ass plane is approaching. It's obviously stock footage of a real plane, but whatever. It's really fucking big. <laughs> it's big. But, but here's the thing. Remember they're doing like hand signals? O'Neill is telling them, go this way, go that way, whatever. They pan to Carter. The The plane is coming in, making all that noise. And they pan to Carter and she makes some hand signals like the plane is coming. <laughs> it's like, really? Really, Carter? <laughs> it's not, it's literally shaking my laptop as I'm watching this. <laughs> I think we know that the plane is coming in. <laughs> Maybe I thought it, it could have been an earthquake instead. <laughs> SG-1 storms the warehouse. They, well, not storm. They silently advance on the three guys. Jack tells them to stand down. SG-1 hears the uh, the punching of the coordinates on the D&D from a nearby truck. There's a fourth guy calling up the wormhole on the D&D. The fourth guy runs out of the truck. Jack shoots at the fourth guy when he tries to grab some case that's by the worm, the, the crate. The fourth guy gives up and then jumps into the wormhole. I guess the Stargate, the Stargate's whoosh melted the wood from the crate because we see the the what's it called the it's the thing that when you when the Stargate is activated and you look at it and it's going around and around and around. Anyway, the the crate is on its side, so people are sort of diving into the Stargate, the activated Stargate. But does that mean if on the other end it's standing up, are you gonna like belly flop down? Yeah, because you're supposed to, like, the, the speed at which you enter the Stargate is the speed at which you exit, right? I've heard that from an episode. That's going to be very so you, And the position that you enter is the position that you exit. So if the other Stargate's standing up, you would, like, come out in this belly flop position and then just flop over. Okay, so the two other guys make it into the wormhole, or make it through the wormhole. Uh, Jack shoots at another guy, but he makes it into the wormhole 
as well. Daniel goes for the coordinates in the truck, but he misses them. So the four guys have made it through the wormhole, but they got the touchstone back because the touchstone was in that tiny little box thing. Jack's not good at following orders. You you would think that they would have apprehended at least one of those guys, right? Or shot them. I guess they weren't allowed to directly shoot them, but he came pretty close to shooting them. Well, who had the Zat gun? Couldn't they have Zatted them? Tilk had the Zat gun. And why did, couldn't Daniel have gone to look at the symbols before? Like, why was he waiting? Or I guess were they worried that the other guys were going to shoot him if he left his position? When he, like, waited for the guy who was dialing in to get out of the truck before he went in. It would have been more exciting if he had gone in and they were fighting. Or why didn't one of them jump in after them? Because then you get stuck there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's true. And probably killed. Okay, there's that. (laughs) Now that we go back to Madonna, SG-1 appears with the statue through the Stargate. It's stormy out again. The Madronians again come out into the cold. Jack gives them the touchstone. Rohan messes with it before they they go back into the statue building. The touchstone glows and it sends off yellow light. The Madronians take the touchstone and they put it back in the statue woman's hand. And it looks like the snow and the wind have started to dissipate. Jack tells them to make sure that there are guards and that they're paying attention next time. And then Princess Lamore strips down to her bikini. Can't You can't not have that bikini shot. There's nothing wrong with a pair of pants. That's all I'm saying. Just put them on until the sun comes out. Right? Then get back in your bikini? Then, yeah. Well, you, you can leave the bikini on under the pants and the window treatment, the fur window treatment. Okay, back to SGC briefing room. Everything seems to be back to normal. Hammond still doesn't know what happened. They don't know what happened to the men who went through the gate. Hammond, though, made sure that the second gate was retired. A permanent iris will be welded over the opening. So we go back to Area 51, and SG-1 looks on as they weld on the iris onto the second stargate. Jack walks over to Mayborn and asks if Mayborn is out of the job. Mayborn says some pretty cryptic stuff. I didn't write it down, but it was about things changing, artifacts being misplaced, and that's the end of the episode. Okay, so yeah, I think it's at this point when Mayborn is truly enveloped in this evil subset slash cabal of NID. I don't know. I think you give him a lot of credit. Seems pretty evil from the get-go. I just don't think he's intelligent enough, crafty enough, and important enough, really, to be totally immersed in this cabal yet. We know lots of people who are evil, think they know everything, but are, like, objectively stupid. And they're so confident. And I see Mayborn as that. He's not the smartest tool. He's more of, uh, like, a sheep that can be used by other people to get their evil plans done and he's evil he seems like he doesn't have a moral compass but he is fundamentally kind of a stupid dude so that's why i i think that he did know about all of this the whole time but like i said he doesn't know who the top kingpin is but he does know he is getting orders from higher up he's part of the the wheel a spoke in that wheel 
And I don't know much about welding. Maybe you guys can ask your husbands. But if you weld on a permanent iris, can't you take it off? Why why do you think our husbands know about welding? Men know these things. (laughs) Like tools and shit. I mean, I'm sure you can unweld something that you weld, but I don't think you can't just like lift it off. Like it's a big project to unweld a welded thing in my unexpert opinion. But they're leaving it there. But under SGC guard. So they, so, so this is now under Hammond's control, right? So they, if they wanted to NID this shit, they need to infiltrate the SGC without anyone else knowing. Couldn't they just send one of these black op teams that stole the touchstone in the first place to just kidnap the guards, the SGC guards and take the permanent iris off? I'm just saying it's not a good plan. It's a plan. It's a more than a plan than they had before. Like take it and hide it, bury it somewhere. You can weld the iris on, but also bury it. I'm just saying, Mayborn knows where it is. So every episode we come up with a rating, zero chevrons if we hated it, eight chevrons if we think it was fantastic. So Malika, what is your rating? I give this four because it wasn't offensive, not as offensive. It was watchable without anger. How about that? So I'll give it like a midterm four. I can't say that it was a bad episode. I can't say it was like a good episode. It was just an episode. What about you, Rose? I would feel the same way. I mean, the the whole like idiot culture of people who don't know anything and can't do anything is a little annoying. I don't want to say it's offensive, but it's annoying. And it's just like, they do it too often. It's like, I don't know. I just get tired of these like passive idiot cultures that SG-1 has to rescue all the time. And there's a few plot holes like, yeah, why aren't they trying to evacuate these people? Like there's just, there's a few things that don't quite make sense. Um, But overall, yeah, it's fine. It's not, not, it's not unenjoyable. I wouldn't say it's one of my favorite episodes. I wouldn't say it's like one of the sharpest, most interesting, but it's like, okay. It sort of develops this whole like conspiracy secret government entities doing nefarious things storyline that we do revisit. So I'll give it a four as well. Yeah, I give it a four because it's inoffensive. Which <laughs> It sounds pretty awful. I mean, if this had come after, I don't know, any other episode, but the one we had just seen spirits, would we have given it such a high rating? I don't know. But yeah, I give it a four. I like the, the um, continued storyline of the NID. I don't like the Madronians. They are annoying in their ineptitude. So yeah, four. Okay, so if this episode were redone today, how would it be different? I think I think that that whole conspiracy, it would be more involved. It would be darker. More people would die. Everything has to be dark these days, so. Yeah, I think the storyline would still, like the bones of the storyline would still st- stay the same. Like I could see this episode mm-hmm. today in, on today's television. It would be darker. There'd be more blood. Yeah, but I think they would still have this device that controlled the weather. I mean, that just sounds like something that you'd see today in modern television. And you'd still be like, how does a device control the planet's weather? But whatever. Okay. I would want to see the the people who live on Madrona fleshed out a little bit. The two main, the um, high priest and the the princess 
give them a little bit more to work with. I mean, obviously they're throwaway characters. I don't know if we're going to see them again, but you can give them some more lines, give them some depth. That was the only thing I would change. We're not going to see them again. Also, who we never really find out what aliens made that device, right? It's just, it could be anything. Could be, there's, okay, it could be anything. Yeah. I won't, I won't start naming possible yeah. ones, but we, we never really find that out, I don't think. Okay, thank you for listening to us. Join us next time when we discuss episode 15, season two, The Fifth Race. Malik is going to love that one. Oh, yeah. I love all of these. So excited. Thanks so much. Bye. Bye. You're not going to love it. <laughs> no, I know. I it. <laughs> oh, I know. Like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform. If you don't like us, still like and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Probing the Wormhole, on Twitter at Probing Wormhole, Facebook at Probing the Wormhole. You can also contact us on our website at probingthewormhole.com. Thank you.